0: Our reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 18, and then there's a little gap and we're going to jump on to uh, verse 27 and 28. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here in the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Jump into verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you, Or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Now, as Claire comes back to speak, I'm just going to pray for her. Heavenly Father, we are here this morning to encounter you, to wait on you, to hear your voice. And so, Father, I ask that you would come and speak in this time now. Come and speak, come and nudge us, come and prompt us by your spirit. Father, I pray for Claire. Lord, I ask that you anoint her afresh, that you'd fill her with your spirit in your presence, with the words that you want her to share. And Lord, I pray that you just give her boldness and confidence as she speaks now. And Father, give us ears and eyes and hearts and minds open to you, Jesus. May we hear exactly what you want us to hear. And may we act upon that as well, Jesus. Come and move in your spirit in your power, I pray now. In your name, Jesus. Amen.
1: Thank you. So, we're going to be thinking about stories this morning. And I'm going to start with a couple of questions for you. Um, So, first one. What classic children's storybook has been in Publishers Weekly's best-selling list for almost two decades Jim, you can't answer this because I tried this out in the week. So any ideas what the classic, best-selling children's storybook is? Harry Potter, that's what Jim said, actually, wasn't it? That was your first answer. Not Harry Potter? Narnia? It's not Narnia? What was that? No. No. The Gruffalo? No, shall we pop it up on the screen and see what it is? The Very Hungry Caterpillar. And this week, it's actually fourth in the best-selling list. So, and yeah, it's been there for almost 20 years. So next question for you, and this one, I want you to tell the person next to you your answer. If you don't know the person next to you, you can tell them your name. Before you tell them, your favourite children's story. What is your favourite children's story? So tell them your name if they need to know it, what it is, and why. I'm going to give you 30 seconds, then you can swap over. Um, So go. Okay. It's always hard to stop these kind of things, isn't it? Get you chatting and then um, we we get you to stop. If you've just met somebody new that you haven't spoken to before, continue your conversation after the service, but chat about more than favourite children's stories. So, my favourite children's story, um, couldn't decide, but actually, I think it's A Little Princess. And I really like A Little Princess because despite going from being really, really rich to being really, really poor overnight while she was at boarding school. Sarah made the best of that situation, and through her resourcefulness, she, she actually turned things into a much better situation. So that's, that's my favorite children's storybook. So stories are really important, aren't they? Stories have been told since right from the very beginning, before people could even read or write. Stories are a really important part of our culture today, and as children, as growing up, I'm sure when, you know, when I asked you the um, classic children's story book, loads and loads of children's stories went through your head, so right from an early age, stories are part of us growing up, and stories are also central to us acquiring knowledge, to learning things. When we tell stories, we engage with others. It's a way of communicating. It's a way of sharing. It's a way of getting to know one another. And storytelling is so much more than just reciting facts and events. When you hear a story, we get drawn into it, don't we? And so often, that's because we can see ourselves in that story. We can identify with it. And when we tell someone a story, as I said, we sort of spark that connection with them. It it just does something between us. So as Christians, yes, we have the hungry caterpillar. Yes, we have a little princess. We have all of those other amazing stories that are part of us. But we have the greatest story ever told that we can tell other people. And the Bible remains the best-selling book of all time, with over 5 billion copies being sold so far. And the Bible? The Bible presents God's big story, God's plan of salvation. And Bible scholars call this one big story of the Bible the Bible metanarrative. So that's the overall storyline, which helps us to understand the Bible as a whole. So the idea of one bigger story explaining smaller stories isn't unique to the Bible. I'm going to talk about a book that I don't think I've ever read, um, but Gone with the Wind. Anybody ever read Gone with the Wind? Know the story of Gone with the Wind? That's a story of oppression, transformation, and self-reliance. And that story is told from the different angle of the individual stories of the book's characters. So you've got Scarlet, Rhett, Ashley, and Melanie. Does that spark some memories for those of you that know that story? So story meta-narratives, whether it's the Bible, Gone with the Wind, and there'll be other stories that you'll be able to think of that have this one big story overarching. The meta-narratives are a comprehensive explanation or a guiding theme that brings together the other themes, the other stories within the text. I'm going to put that in a simpler way because that's quite a big words. So a simpler way of explaining it is basically a story about stories and that that bigger story encompasses and explains the little stories within it. Our understanding of the Bible, um, if you're anything like me, we're a bit pick and mix, aren't we? We sort of read a bit here, we read a bit there, and so we kind of get a fragmented series of snapshots. And so often those snapshots, they'll challenge us, they'll speak to us, they'll inspire us, they'll, they'll move us deeply. But they don't necessarily connect together to reveal the bigger picture of the Bible, And without that bigger picture, then we only get sort of a partial appreciation of what that individual snapshot could tell us if we looked at it as part of that bigger whole. So God's big story, the meta-narrative of the Bible, the story that runs through the whole of it is God's universal plan of salvation, which is worked out through his creation, through his people through the coming of Jesus, and through the church. And then there are some themes that run through that. We've got creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, which guide and inform the smaller stories that form that one big story. So as we know, the Bible starts with the story of creation. Genesis 1, we've got God creating the earth and everything in it. And then moving into Genesis 2, we have God creating man in his own image. And then in chapter 3, it doesn't take long, does it? Before man tries to usurp God's authority and that amazing relationship that man had with God is broken. So straight away, in the first three chapters, we've got creation and then fall. And then redemption comes in really quickly as well. The redemption of the fallen people is then introduced um, um, through Abraham. And through the rest of Genesis and Exodus, God's plan for redemption starts to take shape through a people chosen by God, through the descendants of Abraham, and through the nation of Israel and then that theme of redemption continues to be explored from various angles through the old testament and then with the new testament pointing to that ultimate redemption the perfect redemptive work of jesus on the cross and that's told through the gospels and then is explored further in the letters and then in the final chapter of the bible in revelation we find the restoration of a damaged world with God reestablishing that perfect order in the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. It's amazing, isn't it? Just those themes woven into that one big story that forms the Bible. There's a new RE curriculum that's being taught in schools. The Church of England um, have recently developed an RE curriculum called Understanding Christianity. And that basically is based on the big story of the Bible, forming the framework for it. And it has some amazing core concepts that make it up. And they're core concepts which are taught as being um, expressed through the Bible, but also lived out in Christians' lives today. And the core concepts that are being taught in thousands of schools across our country to four to 14-year-olds are God, creation, fall, the people of God, incarnation, gospel, and salvation, and the kingdom of God. How cool is it that that curriculum is now out in our schools and is teaching the Bible as one big story of God's salvation? So much of the Bible the one big story is told through the stories of human experience. Almost 50% of the Bible is narrative, is stories. And the stories of these individuals run parallel to God's big story, and they present the biblical story in different ways. They present another side to it. And it is through these stories of the individuals that we see God choosing and using people. And he doesn't just choose and use the amazing, perfect, and special people. I've already mentioned Abraham. Abraham, he was so impatient, wasn't he, that he tried to accomplish God's plan in his own time. But God chose Abraham to be the father of nations, to be the first man in his redemption plan. David, we referred to David actually at the start of our service with that psalm. David was a flawed man, he was a murderer, an adulterer. But God, he saw his heart, he knew his heart, and he chose David to be his king. And it was from David's family line that God sent Jesus. A couple of weeks ago at Pentecost, Jim spoke about Peter. Peter was an ex-fisherman. He was fiercely passionate. He was outspoken and loyal until it came to the crunch point when he denied Jesus, when it really mattered. But God chose Peter. He chose Peter and empowered with the Holy Spirit, Peter boldly preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost and saw 3,000 people starting to follow Jesus that day. And then the last one, I could go on for ages. The last one is Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. He was intent on persecuting and getting rid of the Christians. But God used Paul as one of the most influential leaders of the early church. They're just four of the most amazing men and women whose stories we find as part of that one big story. So each time I speak, I I share something that God has been teaching me through my um, MA studies. And not necessarily just something that God's been teaching, but that he's really been challenging and exciting me with. Um, And so this is what I'm going to be sharing with you this morning. And this term, we're studying how, as churches, we can effectively engage with and share the gospel, share the good news of Jesus in our current postmodern Western culture. And that's a culture which has become, it's all about me. Anything goes, I can do what I like, I can be what I like. And where despite the Bible still being the best-selling book of all time, Bible literacy is falling across the generations with more and more people not even knowing well-known Bible stories. In, uh, in 2014, so less than 10 years ago, the Bible Society did a survey, and this revealed that in the over-55s, 66% of people could identify Noah's Ark as being, part, being in the Bible. That percentage fell um, amongst those aged 25 to 34, with only 51% of them knowing that Noah's Ark was in the Bible. And with 8 to 15-year-olds, 23% of them, 23% of those children and young people said they had never read, seen, or heard the story of Noah's Ark. So that's kind of the backdrop that we're finding ourselves in, that where, where we are in um, the places we go to, where we are um, in a position to share God's story. So let's get back to God's story. That's bigger story. But more excitingly, how we are part of God's story, and that God is continuing to tell his story through us today. So we're living in that gap, um, in that time. It's the time of redemption, but leading up to restoration. And God's story throughout history, as I've just said, through his people, is being told through us as we live our lives every day in the places we go to and with the people we meet As followers of Jesus, as his disciples, we are all called in Matthew 28 verse 20 to go and make disciples. Or, as I've now discovered this verse to mean, as you go and make disciples. A change from go to as you go. Some of us, as Pete's already said, like Annalise, like Alan and Celia and Kat are, and some of us will be called to go to other countries, to other cultures to share the good news. But we are all called to, as we go, make disciples, as we go about our daily lives, in our everyday contexts, with the people we see, with the people God has entrusted us with. And one of the ways we can share the gospel, share the good news, make disciples, is through the stories that our lives tell. And each of our lives tells a story, and they're going to have happy chapters, they're going to have sad chapters, boring chapters, exciting chapters... We've just heard from Annalise, she was over there and now she's gone, we've just heard from Annalise uh, the amazingly exciting chapter of the story that God is writing through her and I want to talk to her to find out more, don't you? That That was just almost like the trailer, wasn't it, to an amazing film? So let's chat to Annalise to find out more. Alan and Celia are here this morning, I think they're here for another week. Chat to them to hear what God is doing, the story God is writing through them. But back to us, back to us in our everyday lives. So in the first part of the reading, which Dan just read for us, in verses 12 to 14, Paul tells how the spread of the gospel hadn't stopped. It hadn't been hindered. It wasn't all about him, so it was carrying on despite him being put in prison. And the fact that it hadn't been hindered, it hadn't stopped, in fact, it was advancing even more so especially amongst those who'd been um, put alongside him to guard him. It was obvious when they saw Paul, when they heard about him, that he wasn't just any ordinary other prisoner. It was obvious that he was a follower of Jesus, that he was different. The story that Paul was telling while he was in jail, in this difficult chapter of his life, in confined circumstances, spoke of the good news about Jesus. And Paul's story while he was in prison was one of joy and one of hope in the middle of that difficult situation. It was a story that spoke of God's care for him and of God using him despite being locked up. And it wasn't just through Paul that the gospel was advancing. Another unexpected result of Paul's imprisonment was that the other Christians had been encouraged by Paul's example and were being even bolder in sharing the gospel for themselves. I don't know about you, but when I hear stories of like Annalise or of other people, Bev's a great one actually, when she shares at staff meeting what God's been doing through her, I get really encouraged and excited and it inspires me to go and be bolder and to step out for myself When did you last hear somebody share what God was doing in and through them and have that sort of encouragement to step out for yourself? Let's be sharing those stories with with one another more. So I missed out verses 19 to 26 as they're more about Paul than about us. But then in that last verse, in verse 27, Paul reminds us of the importance of how we live our lives, of the type of story that we are telling each day, And he reminds us, as he was modelling in prison, of the importance to whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. To whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's quite exciting and also challenging at the same time, isn't it? So the literal translation of the Greek word for conduct, which is poly college UMA, if I've said that correct, um, is to live as a citizen. To live through the lens as a citizen of heaven rather than the lens of a citizen on earth. Letting being a citizen of heaven shape the way that we live, love, and serve. Citizenship is an important factor in forming our identity and also in shaping our values. So, Whilst living on earth as a citizen of heaven, we need to live in a way that shows how important the gospel is to us, in a way that enhances the reputation of the gospel, not in a way that's going to damage or discredit it. So, by living with the confidence that as a child of God, He is with us and for us, by being consistent in the way that we think and speak and act, and in those three ways, reflecting Jesus. A couple of weeks ago on Pentecost Sunday, Jim used a phrase when he challenged us to give and live the gospel. The gospel is good news. Jesus is good news. It's full of love, joy, life, peace, humility, forgiveness, grace, and hope. So is the story That God is continuing, his story that God is continuing to tell through our lives, is that the story that we're telling? As we saw earlier, less and less people today are reading the Bible. So there's a great quote that says that we need to be careful how you live. You may be the only Bible some person ever reads. I love that quote, in the pit in our old youth room um, upstairs in the north building. We had a painting of it. I tried to find it to actually show you this morning, but I couldn't find it. And that was just an amazing reminder whenever I went into the pit, when we had our staff meetings up there, that we may be the only Bible some people ever read. So what is that story that we're telling? As the church, as followers of Jesus today... This is a phrase that I got from my, um, my lectures, but it's absolutely amazing and challenging and inspiring. As the church, as followers of Jesus today, we are the hermeneutic of the gospel. Basically, what that means is we are the interpretation and expression of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus. We are a living demonstration of that good news. So in our postmodern culture, reading the Bible or listening to a sermon isn't going to be enough for people anymore. People are only going to accept an authentic demonstration of faith and we're the ones that they're going to see that through. You can dismiss a historical story. They can dismiss the Bible and say, oh, that happened thousands and thousands of years ago. It's just a teaching. It's just an idea about faith. But it's so much harder to dismiss a personal story to dismiss something that somebody they know and trust and love is, is not only telling, but telling through the way that they lives, live our lives. So a powerful story, a personal story is a powerful tool. And people today are going to be so much more open and receptive to those personal stories, to authentic stories told through the way we live our lives. So as we saw earlier, we don't have to be perfect for God to continue to be writing his story through us. That's good news, isn't it? Because if we had to be perfect, then none of us would stand a chance. But God uses our humanity. He uses our weaknesses. He uses our circumstances. And he takes them. And he renews Heals and transforms, and that forms part of our story too. So, what story are we telling on our everyday mission, whether that's in our homes, schools, colleges, workplaces, healthcare settings, clubs, sports teams, coffee shops, on the golf course, wherever it is we go? What story are we telling? Is it a story of good news? Is it a story that, as the message version of Philippians 1 verse 27 says, is a credit to the message of Christ? Is it an attractive story? Does it make us stand out as being different? Does it make people want to know more to ask the questions why? Why? two of my closest running friends thought Christians were really boring and they were really nervous about getting to know me when they found out that I was a Christian. But they've recently told me that I've completely changed how they think about Christians now. And they're now also starting to ask me questions about what being a Christian means to me, about the difference it makes to my life. As much as we'd like it to be so, as followers of Jesus, we aren't guaranteed a simple, trouble-free life. We all have the same ups and downs, the same easy times and challenges as everybody else. So is the story that we're telling consistent? Is it the same story of joy, of hope, of peace in the good times as it is in the bad times? Is what we believe and know to be true reflected in how we live our lives, no matter what is happening. So are we telling a story that speaks of joy in all circumstances? I was away with St John's school year sixes a couple of weeks ago on residential, camping in the New Forest. And um, we'd, ha- had, we'd got some couple of un- or a few unsettled children, and myself and Harry, one of the teachers, had been up all night. So when the children got up, we'd been awake for 28 hours. So we, we wanted to be at the front of the breakfast queue because we needed coffee and we needed that cooked breakfast. So we told the children that we'd been up 28 hours, and so we were going to have breakfast first. Didn't think any more of it. And then I'd been doing archery with my group um, as our first activity. And um, at the end, one of the girls in my group, she said, Claire, she said, I've been watching you this morning. She said, when my parents haven't slept, they're really grumpy. You say you've been awake for 28 hours, yet you're still really happy. So just a simple thing. I don't know where that happiness came from. because I was. Well, I do know, because I was absolutely exhausted. But are we showing joy in all circumstances? Are we telling a story that speaks of sacrificial love in which we put others first, others before ourselves? Are we telling a story that speaks of God's care and provision for us, that speaks of answered prayers? And are we telling a story filled with hope, hope for the future despite the increasing uncertainty of the world around us? God's story told through the early church told through Christians throughout the centuries changed the world and did things that did things that nobody would ever think is possible and so the story that God is continuing to write to tell through us today has that same power to change the world today as we go about our everyday mission to make disciples Let's give and live the gospel in ways that are a credit to it.